great studies, better than my studies that look at twins reared separately and reared together as identical twins and paternal twins. They do all of these combinations and try to figure out is leadership born or is it taught, right? Or learned. And overwhelmingly the data show leadership is learned. It's developed. You could be twins, which means you have the same exact DNA and not have similar levels of leadership. So you can certainly learn it. And if it's learned, then I, that means to me, it can be taught, right? Or you can help at least accelerate people's learning process. Hi there, guys. Welcome back to the Matt Brown Show, and thank you for pushing play. Today, our guest is Professor Stephanie K. Johnson. She is an author, doctor, keynote speaker, and studies the intersection of leadership and diversity, focusing on one, how unconscious bias affects the evaluation of leaders, and two, strategies that leaders can use to mitigate bias. Today, we're talking about her book, Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Build Innovative Teams. Uh, we cover a lot of ground in this book today. Uh, just a couple more things to mention about uh, Dr. Johnson. She is a member of the MG100 Coaches and was selected for the 2020 Thinkers 50 Radar List, comprising of 30 international management scholars. Uh, she works with the best companies in the world uh, to create uh, inclusive leaders um, and really is at the cutting edge of the intersection between data science and equality and the real world of business, which is kind of where we all play. Um, she has presented her work at over 170 meetings around the world, including the White House uh, and even the Summit on Diversity in Corporate America on National Equal Pay Day. And of course, as you would expect, featured on all sorts of media outlets, The Economist, Wall Street uh, Journal, Bloomberg, Huffington Post, Washington, CNBC, blah, blah, blah. So it's uh, just a real uh, class act. And uh, we had such a great conversation today, uh, specifically about uh, you know equality and what it really means to be living in an, an equal world. Uh, we touch on the drivers of an inclusive workforce. We talk about gender disparities. We talk about how we as leaders uh, can uh, work with uh, transformational leadership as a principle um, and can we you know, develop it as a skill or as a taught. We talk about uh, diversity bias, such an important point. And I share a personal story I recently had where uh, I was declined uh, for a particular uh, gig based on the basis of my skin. Uh, which was a, a, a stark reminder, really, and an acute reminder of how uh, inequality still exists in many facets of the world today. Uh, we talk about systems and leadership and what systems do to drive the equality agenda or inequality agenda, depending on the system. Uh, we talk about equality of economics, uh, future compensation structures, and a cool story about a boss who put everyone in his company from the CEO all the way down to the junior people on his staff on $70,000 per month salary. Everybody earns the same. And we share some interesting outcomes from that exercise. And don't forget, guys, if you would like to join the conversation, you can do that at smerocketfuel.com and join our community, access funding, access new markets, and just connect with other entrepreneurs and founders from around the world who are curious about building the things that matter to them. So without further ado, into Stephanie Johnson. Hey guys, welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Brown Show. Today I am joined um, by 
an incredibly awesome talent. So super excited to get into all about her and the amazing work that she's doing in leadership and diversity. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Stephanie Johnson. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, so um, lots to get into today. So we're going to be uh, talking about uh, your book here called uh, Inclusify. So I'm just going to bring it up for everybody. Uh, it is available on Amazon. Go and get it. It's got amazing uh, uh, five-star reviews. So the book's called Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Build Innovative Teams. So um, it's going to be quite a quite a ride today. So uh, Stephanie, why don't you kick us off with the elevator pitch uh, I've been reading your bio. I'm going to have to have the world's longest podcast intro to cover like just some of what you've <laughs> achieved. Uh, but, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, what, what, do, what do we need to know here? Like, um, give us the elevator pitch. Who are you? What are you about? What lights you up? Oh, oh yeah. So I'm a college professor uh, at the School of Business at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Great place. And um, I study leadership. That's just kind of been the topic that's fascinated me since a really young age, like as a, a high school student, I was like, I want to go study leadership and be a professor. Um, and I am. And then um, I think the most pressing challenge for leaders today is really how to create diverse and inclusive workforces. And that's what Inclusify is about is just practical strategies that leaders can utilize to make their probably already diverse workforces more inclusive. So people want to stay, they feel engaged, they can thrive, and the result is greater innovation and performance. And um, and is this something that diversifi- you know, the diversification of the workforce, et cetera, where did the spark come from to, to cover this and write it in the depth that you, that you have? Yeah, you know, the, the diversity part, I think, came out of constantly finding disparities in my data on leadership around gender. And there's, there's racial disparities too, but usually the number of um, people of color in leadership levels, at least in the U S is so low that you don't have enough data to actually test it. But for women, you know, there's, there's women. So there, if I'm trying to predict what makes leaders effective, or like my big thing is how can I train leaders to be more effective. Leaders want to be effective, right? They're a very captive audience of people who want to grow and develop. And so I want to tell them what to do. So I'm going to study this. And then the things to do, the strategies were always very different for women than for men leaders. And so I was like, what's going on here? I need to figure out why do I keep finding these weird differences for women? And it was basically comes down to something we all know now, but 20 years ago, we maybe didn't know it, but it was that when women are really assertive and fit those leader stereotypes of being like powerful and aggressive, they're viewed negatively. And when men do the same thing, they're viewed positively. And so for women, what my big aha was, is they really have to kind of do both. They have to do, you know, be super powerful and assertive and competent, but also be kind and caring and nurturing for their employees, which is a lot for any leader to do. Um, and so this is a very long answer to your question, but I decided I would just figure that out, check, and then move on. And I still haven't really figured out exactly what the answer is in this case, because, you know, times are changing faster than my research can catch up. So 
I think the advice is probably different today than it was 20 years ago. And that's what spawned then the inclusive eye book, uh, because that's really only half the battle is getting the diversity. But then if people don't feel engaged and welcomed and that they can get ahead, then they just leave. And so then I'm like, well, cause you need inclusion. So that's where that book came from. Awesome. Um, so I want to get into this idea of, you know, transformative leadership as it, as it relates to it being a skill is, is, well, what is, in your definition, 20 years of research, lots of data, what, where does your point of view now lie in the sense of the, you know, transformative leadership? What does that mean definitively for you? And is it a skill that, uh, you know, a founder entrepreneur such as myself and, you know, who knows who else is listening to us around the world? Is it something that they can learn as well? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. I mean, absolutely. So there's great studies, better than my studies that look at twins reared separately and reared together as identical twins and fraternal twins. They do all of these combinations and try to figure out is leadership born or is it taught, right? Or learned and overwhelmingly the data show leadership is learned. It's developed. You could be twins, which means you have the same exact DNA and not have similar levels of leadership. So you can certainly learn it. And if it's learned, then I, that means to me, it can be taught, right? Or you can help at least accelerate people's learning process. And I would say for the, the most important skill for leaders today, um, in my view, at least, and I think there's some good data to support this, is really about listening and having empathy, trying to understand other people's perspectives. Um, with like, I, mean, I think it helps for diversity and inclusion to be able to understand not everyone has the same life experiences as you do, but also for dealing with like the pretty constant crises that are emerging. If you want to be able to support and empower your team, which I think is, this is what leaders do, right? You, you want to get the best out of them and develop them to their full capacity um, maybe that's, you know, transforming them and the organization Then I think you have to understand them. And I think it's not a hard skill to learn, but it does take practice. I think of it like a muscle. If you're not listening, you forget how to listen. And the sad story is that we're often very good at listening, but as we gain leadership and we're the person who's the founder or running the company, 
we're not listening as much as we're talking because we're selling our ideas and we're directing people on what to do. And so we, we actually let that empathy muscle atrophy and instead become really, maybe we become more charismatic speakers. Maybe we become very um, good at influencing people, but less good at, at the listening side, which I think is what employees need right now more than ever. Yeah, it's, I couldn't agree with you more. I think in South Africa and in Africa more broadly, I think, you know, diversity is, is a very important uh, journey that we've been on since the ending of apartheid. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think we have, we've, we've done a lot of work. I mean, like the, the transformation has been truly remarkable in such a short period of time, but many argue that we're nowhere near where we should be, you know, so we've been on a 20, right. let's say 25 year journey, 27, 27 year journey now. Um, and we've got another, you know, 25 years to go till, till we ever get there. Uh, and it's quite an interesting thing because I founded a company amongst that, it, within that environment where diversity and black economic empowerment and, and all these uh, things, they're not ideas, they're uh, systems now that uh, founder entrepreneurs within South Africa at least have to play within. And so I employ, most of my uh, workforce is black, uh, uh, you know, and and I get amazing results out of them. Um, and it's interesting for me to have this conversation with you personally because I'm curious to explore with you where does diversity and and the transformational objective uh, related to diversity, where does it end? Does it ever end? Um, and when? how would we know when we have arrived at a place where it's like, okay, cool, We've now, we're now living in a, you know, a, a workforce culture environment where there's equality and diversity in the workforce. Oh my God. That is so, so many layers of awesome and everything you just said. Um, I think South Africa is such an interesting example of really what is this global phenomenon of anti-blackness in the world. And I think South Africa is like the epitome of that. And what can, what's possible with change, but you're right. I don't think you're done. <laughs> and it's cool that you are leading the way to help change that because that at the end of the day, isn't that what we need, you know, is people who might have the power and the privilege to get an audience and be leading by example and then showing the results. And so it's like, if he did it, so, so can I, right. This is amazing. I don't know if the benefits of diversity ever end because at least in my, you know, 20 years, the, the layers of diversity keep changing and, and adding. I don't think we're ever done, right? It's like, it's like saying, oh, I'm done developing as a leader. I'm a good leader, done. But if the ground below you is shifting, then how can you be stable and still be effective? And I think that's probably what we're seeing with so many leaders who are like, amazing. You know, they did all the right things. They said all the right things. They were super effective at coming up with strategy, but the world around them changed. It's global, right? There's um, constant um, disruptors. The society in the United States, we've become much more diverse. I think this is like a global phenomenon, but it's very, very true in the United States that in, you know, by 2025, we'll be a majority minority country. Um, but I think a lot of the leaders stayed the same, 
And so now they're no longer effective. Uh, and I, you know, if you, you've, it sounds like you've done a great job with diversity on, you know, black, white differences, but that's, you know, one element of diversity. You, there's also like gender. Um, you can think of the intersectionality. I don't know about, I don't know who's on your team, but um, black women might be treated very differently than black men. Um, there's LGBTQIA plus and people's sexual orientation and identities, disability, personality, you know, neuro differences. There's, I think they just continue to grow and change and diversity isn't like having, I mean, I'm sure I'm saying, I'm speaking to the choirs. I know you know this, but like, if you have a whole team of black men, they're not diverse because they're black, right? Their diversity is the the composition of the people on the team. So you might you still need, maybe you need to add some uh, white men to the team, maybe some white women, maybe some um, veterans or whatever it might be, because what you're trying to achieve is, of course, you know, I think social equality is important, but also you're trying to get different perspectives. And so people can challenge each other and um, see the mistakes that others are making in their logic and, you know, appeal to new target markets and all those great things. Yeah. It's interesting. How much, how much of a role does a bias play within this whole conversation of diversity? Cause like I've got, I've got, I've got a personal story to share and it's probably, it's probably going to upset some people, but I don't give a shit. This is the map round show. Um, (laughs) so, uh, so I was approached, I'm not going to name names here, but I was approached by an agency to, uh, be part of a campaign to, um, to raise awareness and the importance of being vaccinated. And I was selected from a group of influencers. So I have a podcast very well known and, uh, it was it was it went turn from turn from and eventually it was fed back that no it's come down to three and then it was no definitely it's it's going to be you it's pretty much we're going to like you know uh, do the sponsorship deal etc and uh, and then the whole deal fell through so my producer phones me and he goes and I, like you must understand it was done it was de- we were going to onboard as thing was going to yeah. happen it was data book. And I said to him, so what, what, what actually happened there? Now, Mav knows me well enough to know that there's certain things you don't tell me um, and <laughs> so fear, for fear of reaction. And turns out that um, I was declined uh, at the last hurdle, I guess, because the government got involved. And I was declined to, to work on the campaign uh, despite my media uh, profile and the ability to influence the market because I was white and that hurts if I'm honest, you know, because for yeah. me, it's, it, it, if you talk about diversity and you mean it in a way that's authentic, that's why I said, where does it start and where does it stop? Because yeah. at some point you can over index to the other side and then suddenly you, you're, you're actually now backpedaling or changing course to then take diversity in the other direction um, it's like what right, you said. Yeah, you you're homogenous again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like so. So it's frustrating for me because, you know, I think we can all agree that diversity matters. But at some somewhere along the lines, you have these these examples like the one I just shared, where it feels to me that those uh, diversity, you know, it's like 
Some, something's wrong well, with Do you it. know the other the other folks? Or was it just one person they chose? I, I don't know the detail, but it was essentially okay. a case of... You'll yeah, see look, it when it yeah. comes out, right? Because yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder if... You know, what I've heard a lot is they have hired three white men and then the optics look pretty bad when who you're, you know, you're trying to influence a society that is not all white men. So maybe you need people who like, we're more easily influenced by people who are similar to us. So if you are a white man, maybe you're less effective at changing attitudes around vaccination to a black, a black woman, right? So maybe it's good to have diversity there, but if they're just choosing one person, then you can't have diversity. You're just a person. Yeah. Well, this is my thing. So yeah, I understand why they made that decision and, and like, cool, I get it. And I don't know who they chose, whatever, but, but I guess my point is that it's, it's like, I would have done it for free. Guess what, Matt Brown, you still can, you still have the well, power in the podcast and the go get vaccinated. Stephanie can, Johnson and Matt Brown tell you, go do it. <laughs> go get vaccinated, do it twice, get a booster. It's not bad. Yeah. It served me well. Um, no, I'm serious. You can still, you can still do it if you're, you don't have the whole backing of the campaign, but I totally relate to you. And in fact, you know, if you read Inclusify, I very much try to not be angry when people tell those stories, but approach it with empathy because that's the most important skill. And I actually can understand exactly how you feel because I've been in the same situation. I interviewed for jobs and people said, so the thing is young woman, um, women, especially younger women, which now I'm not young, but whatever, this is 20 years ago. Um, don't do that. Well, teaching our MBAs, business, business schools in the United States, their, um, graduate degrees are called MBA masters in business administration. And the MBAs eat them alive because, you know, the MBAs, they're like all of these, you know, uh, uh, assertive mid-career men. And if you're at a very top school, you're getting like the very top mid-career men, which now MBAs are more gender balanced, but at the time, 20 years ago. And so I just don't think you're going to be successful in this role. It's the same thing, right? We're not going to hire you because you're a woman and it stings. And I'm like, it's also illegal by the way, but, um, in the United States, but at the time I'm like, well, listen, I have a great track record of appealing to MBA students, regardless of gender, look at my teaching rate, but, but no, women just don't do well here. And we don't want to hire you to set you up for failure. It's really in your best interest. It stinks. Yeah. Right. And it's like, that's, that's only one example. I think everyone has a story like that. I think it feels so bad because it's something out of your control and it's your identity. And it's not, it's not considering whether you would have done the very best job. It's a decision that people are making based on bias, um, bias against your group. It sucks. Right. And I think for the first time in, in history, the majority group, which I don't think in, in South Africa, I don't know if white men are the majority group, but the group who tends to have the most um, power and privilege are the ones getting that message. And it sucks just as much for them as it did for everyone else. But I also agree that people are like, 
it's too bad. And I think that's, I think that's the wrong approach. I think it's, there's going to be those instances, you know, people still give me those, maybe they don't tell me anymore, but, um, of like women don't do well, or like, I don't know if we want a woman, you know, we want someone with more executive presence or something. Um, and so I will, I have empathy for you for that experience because it does suck. And you probably, I know you would have done a great job. Like I can't imagine who they got, who's going to do a better job. Um, but it is, I guess it doesn't make it, I'm sure it doesn't make it feel any better, but maybe it gives you empathy too, for all the other folks who. For the, for the first time, probably more than, well, actually I wouldn't say it's for the first time, but I think this was quite an acute recent experience. So obviously you remember those ones rather than the ones from like three years ago. Um, but I mean, we, but it's interesting because now that it's happened again, I kind of, it reminds me how much I see it everywhere and how, you know, my example is just a small micro speck on the whole radar of, you know, inequality and uh, injustice in this space, you know. Um, <clears throat> and it's interesting what you said. I mean, like, if you think about the whole idea of, of the role of a woman in a family, you know, how that's changed from like, you must stay at home, look after the kids, cook, man goes goes to work, comes home, must have dinner on the table, like that whole rubbish, old patriarchal idea, you know? Um, and and how, if I look at my wife now, I'm like, it's true equality at home. You know what I mean? And true partnership. That's great. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's a true uh, partnership. And, and it's interesting that there's this dichotomy of friction that's happened uh, in the sense of, <clears throat> you know, she's now an equal. She actually works with me in the business. And unfortunately, uh, on top of that, she's also got to be mom. And there's yeah. you know, extra murals. There's got to take the kids to uh, rugby. Oh, sorry, not rugby, <laughs> but too young. You probably you probably haven't heard of rugby too, too often, I don't think. No, I, yeah. I lived in Edinburgh for a semester in oh, okay. college. I saw lots of rugby. He did, yeah. Uh, so I'm actually wearing a Stormer shirt. It's a heritage day today of all things. Um, nice. But um, but yeah, and so so and then now now there's this thing. I I've, I now have equality, but now I have to deal with the pressures of business and mom, and the and the friction is being forced to choose between both all the time. Um, and, I know. Yeah, I feel for her. Tell your wife to call me too. I I can totally. I am a mom too. I have a, an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old and we can say, my husband and I can say equality all we want, but whenever the kid is sick, yeah. do you know who the school calls? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this exactly. Person. They always call me and that, you know, other moms say, you know, oh, it's so sad that you have to work. It's not fun. And no one ever tells my husband how sad it is that he has to work. <laughs> it's just you just work. So that's just like normal. So, you know, it's going to take a while. And then I also have to say, like, there's lots of people who choose men and women who choose not to work and raise the kids. And that's like totally valid too. Right. Um, they're all just choices, but I feel for your wife because (laughs) it's a lot of pressure. And then the, you know, the kids need you. And I think there's still that, like, you want to give everything to your kids. And so, um, there's a question of like, always for me anyway, am I giving, am I giving enough to everyone all the time? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what she says. Yes. Uh, and the answer is no, right? 
No, screw it. Go to yoga. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you can never give enough. It's like, especially no. for moms, because I don't think men get it. Like, I think the, we, we kind of get understand because we're in it and we see it and that. But we don't fully, we don't, we don't, we don't feel it like a mom feels it, you know. Um, and you know, I, I take the brunt of that because I don't get it. <laughs> so she's trying to like undo like 40 years of like systems and environment and indoctrination into a certain way, you know. And so yeah. for her to try and undo all of that, it's a, almost a fruitless exercise. Whereas if she, if she, if she, you know, had the bandwidth to shift a perspective on, on what it now actually means. And she did that today. Funnily enough, she, she, um, she comes to me today and I was talking to you about moving to America and we've been under so much pressure. We're putting ourselves under pressure to, you know, get a deal done, uh, exit the business, blah, blah, blah. And to get to America and cause it's been two years and COVID and closed consulates and no processing and all stuff. Um, and there's been this like pressure. And so on top of that, then there's the, the home life and the business life. So she came to me today. She was like, look, there's two things I had an epiphany today. One, when we're not moving to America for like two years. If it happens before, great. And that, like, like that whole psyche changed. And the second thing yeah. she said to me was, I'm announcing to you today that I'm working from 5 a.m. to 12 p.m. And then I'm not working the rest of the day from Monday. And uh, yeah, exactly right. So this is it yeah. because she, she was, and I don't, I think there's a big difference between being assertive and being selfish. What she was doing was being assertive. She was taking back her, her power, right. As mom yeah. and, and putting very clear borders in play so that she can have both. So she can be equal in the business, but she can have her needs met as a mom, you know, um, yeah. And that's, that's, it's an interesting thing because it, it, it's this dichotomy between like everything must be equal all the time. But then when you get there, it's like, well, but there's actually a cost to that. And I don't think, yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's like the, you know, I make this distinction in Inclusify of like equals, not the goal. That's, that's equality, right? Let's give everyone equal. You work from 5am to 12. She works from 5am to 12. Well, that doesn't make sense because depending on where your podcast guests are located, maybe 5am doesn't work for interviews. Maybe you have to do some at a different time, right? Instead, it's equity. It's giving people what they need to be successful. And maybe she can do her role on those hours. You can't. So giving everyone the same thing really misses the boat. But you know, we teach this all the time, right? And give everyone the same. That's good leadership. Treat people fairly. That means exactly the same. But, you know, if you're a person with disability and you have um, special hearing instruments for, for your Zoom life or for your um, podcasting, then do you give that to everyone? No, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you give it to everyone? They don't need it. Maybe someone else has a visual impairment and they need what what they need to be successful, right? It's going to be different. So you actually, actually nail it. I mean, get, that's what she needs. And I think in the last year and a half, the whole idea of nine to five, it's like, what were we thinking? Why did we ever do that? It doesn't make any sense. There's many different ways to approach work and it doesn't have to be. So that's on another, that schedule. So that's actually a good point. So I was thinking about that. I actually was talking to someone the other day about nine to five. 
And I think there's a lot of doctrines out there that are dated and don't make sense in the modern world. So if you think about what you said, right? So nine to five, where did that come from? What system was that idea? Farming. Farming. It's farming. It's like sun up. And, but not, actually, that doesn't make any sense because the sun comes up much earlier than nine. Right. Well, my, my view, okay. My sense is, is that it would come from manufacturing. So you needed okay. everybody to work with their hands to assemble parts for a car. And you work from nine, in theory, nine till five. So everybody worked from nine till five because you had different teams assembling different elements on the production line of this this machine called manufacturing. And in the industrial age, everybody worked in manufacturing plants. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have entrepreneurship wasn't a thing. Uh, you know, it was uh, the Spanish flu, <laughs> yeah. you know, and working in like very poor conditions, like terrible. Um, yeah. And Netflix has so many documentaries about, you know, people who've kind of like, you know, <laughs> built amazing businesses in, in that sort of space. But it, it, now, but like, okay, fast forward 150, 200 years, we're now sitting with the internet. We're sitting with, we're talking, I'm talking to you over in um, Curacao, right? Um, and it's video and it's not perfect, but geez, it's better than it was <laughs> in the industrial age. Oh my goodness, you know? yeah. Um, and so, but yet we work nine to five. And the irony is that, you know, with COVID, it's, it was like, think about another thing. You had to have an office. So if you were more than like 10 people, you had to work in an office and renovate. We did all that. And then COVID came, we renovated, spent a fortune in renovations. COVID came 30 days later, we had to move out. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and since then we haven't gone back. So now I'm sitting with a new paradigm where, um, where people are working from home. They're not working in a manufacturing plant. So then the question becomes, okay, uh, and look at the trends. I mean, if you think of uh, the, some of the stuff I've seen on on um, on social media, like Microsoft or Nike gave the whole company off for mental health, you know, mental yeah. health week or stuff like that. Like where where did that come from? That was born from this system today, a modern era system. Nine to five came yeah. from a, a legacy system. Um, and uh, I think we we ca- in the business world we carry even in the context of equality. We we ca- I mean. Another point I want to make was around like who worked in those manufacturing plants because men worked on cars, women worked on sewing machines, or they worked on deconstructing messages or typing, uh, you know, telegrams. You know, so even then you had this men must do this and women must do that. Um, And so even to, and I think all of those um, paradigms have, have traversed into this modern space. And to your point, it's changing much faster than it ever has before. Um, And so the role of systems is really important to recognize in its influence in, you know, diversity and equality and things like that. Because if you think about it, I can only influence my, as a leader, my direct team and business. Okay. And maybe some people outside it, but primarily my primary sphere of influence is with my team and my people. Now, the system that I'm in is far more influential, but I'm not in control of that. I'm a small part of the system. And I wanted to, my question is, what, what, what in your opinion is the role of systems in influencing equality? And, yeah. and, and what, is its rela- you know, what is its relationship to our listeners? So if a listener is listening to us sitting in a system, whether they're unaware or aware, who knows, but they're sitting in the system, they want to make a difference and 
you know, what, what, do, what do we need to know about that context? Yeah. I mean, I love everything you said. And I, I think the system's everything. And the system was built at a time where equality wasn't part of the equation. It's kind of like built by men for men and they go home and there's, as you said, at the start, there's dinner on the table, you know, it's brilliant. The kids um, were taken care of. People didn't have, there weren't as many dual career couples or, you know, maybe um, women worked as long as it worked with the having children and the family and stuff. Um, okay. That's outdated, but I will tell you, like I have worked with companies and expressed this pre COVID, right. You need flexible work hours. It's, this is a simple way to create gender equality. People don't need to be there nine to five, you know, come on. And millennials, who cares? You could say women, just half the society. Millennials are like, soon will outnumber everyone else in the workforce, millennials and Gen Z. They don't want to work nine to five either. And they're just not going to do it. They're not like, ask them. They're like, no, I'll live on my friend's couch. I don't care. So you have to change. We can't change. We have uh, secure data, you know, with F, F, AA won't let us, like all these um, re- restrictions and regulations. Okay, COVID, everyone's home within 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And they, they figured it out, right? Like, we're here in, in the US and they have their own special online systems because they have to be extra secure. You figure it out. Like it's not, it's not rocket science, right? Like you could have always figured it out. You just didn't care enough to, but now you had to. And now here's the thing. They want to go back to the old way, right? We want people to come back to the office because it's feels comfortable. And, you know, maybe people in charge, that's the way they learned and grew up in their organization. I'm not going to go back to the old way because the old way was built on a system that created inequality. And so if equality is important, we need a new system. And this is our only opportunity to do it. And so it's being very intentional about the way we transition back to work to ensure that it works for everyone. It works for the vast majority of workers, not just, you know, a small percentage of workers. And we never could have done it before. No one would have ever listened, but now's the time to say it. And I think we're seeing this all over you know, we have, I don't know if this is a global phenomenon, but um, people are quitting their jobs in droves. Like, mm. you want me to go back to the office? I'm not going back to the office. Like, you're going to have to make it work for people or they're not going to come back to work. Yeah, that's another one, right? It's like Twitter allows people to work from home forever. Um, and, and it's it's a great, <laughs> you know, it's a, and I think there were a few companies that jumped on that uh, on that bandwagon. Um, do you know about that? Have you heard about that CEO? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if everyone wants that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there's a CEO in the States. He pays every- I don't know if everyone wants to work from home forever. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't, Sorry, I, I keep talking over you. No, no, no. It's, actually, it's not you. It's the delay. <laughs> it's the delay. Like I said, oh, it. it's okay. a lot better than the industrial age manufacturing stuff, but it's still not perfect. Um, but... Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think people, but this is my thing. I think it's about choice. You know, it's like, I would like the choice to go to the office if I 
I've had a real rough two days of kids being at home from school, you know, <laughs> on school holidays, yeah. you know. So it's like I just want to get out. And so where do I go? And to have the office and the choice and the freedom to go and do that would be would be great. Um, another great example I've, I've seen recently, I forget the guy's name, but he's the CEO of a, of a U.S. company. He employs like, you know, 100 people, 250 people, something like that. Uh, but he 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 made the news when he paid everyone the same salary. So he pays everybody in the company, I think it's $70,000 a year, whether you are an executive or whether you're an entry-level person, you, everybody earns the same. And people are like, no, 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 you can't do that. Like, you know, that's ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. It's going to, people won't be motivated. How are you going to motivate your senior staff when the intern's getting the same amount of money and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and so he was like, well, this is how, this is what I want to do. And, and even he earns the same amount of money. Um, and, uh, the story goes in the, in the media clip is that, um, the performance of the workforce actually increased. Wow. It, it was amazing, right? Because, um, you write about that in your book where you, you make the uh, points around, uh, continuous sustained effort towards helping diverse teams feeling engaged, empowered, accepted, and valued, and that that sentiment is what uh, this chap has um, has done. I would say in his book, uh, sorry, yeah. within his business rather, what you've done in your book. Um, and I'd love. What do you think of that? Would you do that for your own company? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Why not? You saw the effect. Is it one example, right? Anecdote. What is this guy? I'm going to try and find him. Um, uh, so the reason why I say no in my current point of view, um, is that, uh, sorry, he's false. I'm trying to find this guy full snuff. Let's see. Um, so yeah, my, uh, my sentiment is that there's value that is created at different levels within a business. So if you have, if you have a, a, you're working towards a vision or a goal, uh, you need to have structures in place in order to reach that that goal. Otherwise, you won't get there. So as a startup, you have a flat structure. Um, and so I would say it makes more sense for that principle to apply in a startup where you don't have uh, uh, levels of hierarchy you own, and you have a very flat structure. So when you're a startup, you have, you know, like I'll be doing sales, marketing, HR, fine. And then I have Alexis who's doing, you know, account management, financial modeling, forecast. And then I have this designer who is then not, I paid, I'm paying her as a designer, but she's actually doing website development, multimedia editing and copywriting. So, so it, you understand, so you, you, you're creating more equal amounts of value at that uh, stage of company because you're all doing four things or five things. So okay, everybody in theory could earn the same amount of money. So it makes more sense there. But as you go from startup to, you know, growth to mature and then expansion, uh, you have hierarchy of levels. And so the, the, if you go in the, in the more mature context, you have a CEO who's, who's actually paid to make, uh, who's paid the amount of money he's paid to, to make like Tim Cook. He's not paid to make a thousand decisions. He's paid to make one or two decisions that are very good every day. And he has a team underneath him to then make the other hundred and then the other, you know, 800 and so on. So that's, so that collectively the structures can work systemically towards the achievement of the goal. Now in that, 
in that sphere, it, it doesn't make sense because the value of the individual take the titles away. The value of the resources uh, and the remuneration of those resources doesn't make sense for someone in who's processing vendor sheets or invoices to be paid the same. So you know, but but I, like I said, it 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 works for for this guy. Um, here you go. The boss who put everyone on seventy thousand uh, rand twenty fifteen. Let me put this up on the screen. I'll read it to you. Uh, so this is for everybody watching live. So here you go, BBC. The boss who put everyone on seventy k. So in twenty fifteen, the boss of a card payments company in Seattle introduced a seventy thousand dollar minimum salary for all his hundred and twenty staff. And personally took a pay cut of $1 million. Five years later, he is still on the minimum salary and says the gamble has paid off. Uh, his, name's, wow. his name's Dan Price, uh, lives in the Cascade Mountains. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I guess what it indicates, and I'd love to get your view, is that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Um, yes. And there's, there's, and this is the one thing about, I love about podcasting. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like well, don't don't come to me for advice dude <laughs> like i don't have any to give uh but uh but i mean uh, but what is your view on that now that you've heard the story what does it indicate for you about what we don't know about equality in the workplace i know I, i'm gonna go with your answer because i thought it was very good <laughs> um i mean my first thought was it doesn't work because of market demand you know there's so, like if, if you're hiring a um, R&D computer engineer or something, maybe they can work for you for 70000 or they can go work at any other company for 150000 Why would they work for you, right? So you have to pay people what the market demands. But then it, I, when I had that brilliant answer, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, isn't that just, aren't the market demands just another source of inequality? Like we do pay more for certain jobs. And then those jobs often keep out diversity, right? Like, and it's, there's these huge economic studies, at least in the U S that show if you have a field, you know, maybe it's engineering as more women, and they, I think the study only looked at women enter that field, the salary actually declines hmm. because women are valued less. Right. And, um, if you use pay history and maybe their last job, they got paid less and so now you pay them less. And so overall the, um, that salary starts to decline. So maybe the market demands is just another source of inequality, but I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think you don't know what you don't know. I like to believe in pay for performance. So if you are able to demonstrate the value that you added you should be compensated for that. And maybe that's more of a bonus structure than a, just like your salary. Cause I think, I think of like, my, so I'm a tenured professor, right? Mm -hmm. You work really, really hard. You maybe you, you have a certain salary, you get tenure, you can never be fired. And as far as I know, they can't, it'd be really weird for them to cut your salary and say, we've decided you're not actually producing as much as you used to. So in some ways, salary is kind of like you get to the salary by doing a good job, but you don't have to do that good a job to maintain it. And so there's a lot of people with like inflated salaries that maybe, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't have the answer, but I love the, I feel like I want to do some experiments or do some like computer models of like what would happen. I think at the end it would all collapse and like, 
well, all businesses would fail. But to your point, I mean, I've just had a, a recent experience where I, I think the compensation model is, 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 I think could use an update. I wouldn't say that it's broken because it, it does work, <laughs> but I don't think it works well enough. Um, and the reason why I say that is because I've hired in the last six months, a lot of senior people for lots of money. And, uh, I've had to let a few of them go because they, let's just say, weren't worth the money <laughs> that they were yeah. asking for. So the, the value exchange wasn't sustainable. And as a small business, you have to be kind of ruthless with, with, um, you know, your, your economics of your business. So yeah, for sure. like, how do you know that? So now if everybody was earning, th imagine this. So what if everybody was not earning $70,000? Say $70,000 for me is still quite a good salary. It's on the high end, $100,000. You, you're very comfortable, I would suggest, depending on where you live. Uh, but if you were, let's just say on, you know, $36,000, right? Um, potentially a year, but you were remunerated on performance for the difference, like that makes more sense then to say, okay, so you're all the same. Now yeah. you will be rewarded on the delivery of this vision for the company. So here's your mandate and you guys figure it out. We're not going to say how to do it. We'll tell you what to do, it, what you need to do, it, why you need to do it. And you guys figure it out the how. And the other thing to say is it would make sense to even have that, uh, you know, that, that, then broken up into tribes. So not departments, but tribes. So agile tribes that go out and solve specific problems that the business needs um, and then get rewarded based on outcomes, um, not on effort. Does it make sense? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, no, I like it. I think it seems, I mean, it doesn't seem worse than what we currently have. Um, I don't know if it would end up having bias baked in because, you know, some of those performance outcomes are subjective. It's not sales, you know, it's like, um, I think that was a really creative idea and maybe I react differently depending on who delivered the idea, but I don't think it's worse than what we have. <laughs> um, it makes me think though, also of like restaurant in, in the States. And I know this isn't true everywhere, but um, if you work in a restaurant as a wait staff or server, or hostess or post, um, you get paid less than minimum wage, like $4 an hour. And then you get the rest in tips. And I think if you earn less in tips, then would be minimum wage. They have to make it up. But, but then the problem is when so much of your livelihood is based on that tipping, I think we see negative outcomes for people because what are you willing to do? And I think of like in a business, not in a customer service role, but to get that performance and like, would it, create more unethical behavior? Like, are you going to steal clients from your colleagues? Um, and tipping, you know, one of the things I studied has been sexual harassment and sexual harassment is horrible in, um, for servers and for wait staff. Why? Because they can't really speak up. I mean, they can, and they should, but they're scared to speak up because they need the tips. Right. Um, and so the people who are harassing them are usually customers and they want, they still want the tip because they need to pay the rent and, Otherwise they get $4 an hour. So I'm sure there's always, you know, there's always complications for all these things, but we definitely could use more merit-based pay. I'm sure. Yeah, we absolutely could. Um, could I maybe touch on a little bit more of your research? Because 
be fascinated to know what people are actually doing practically. So maybe just to get it more in from, from like the theoretical stuff to, to kind of like, okay, I would like to make a difference. I'm an individual wherever I might be in the world. Um, and, um, you know, what are some, you know, references or great practical real world examples you can point to that says, right, that's a great reference. Go and learn about how these, this company or this individual is, is kind of doing diversity, uh, in the right way. What would you point to? You know, I, I think read includes five, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I think that I'm sure I could give references and there's, you know, lots of references in the book, but I really like to think of like, what's a practical strategy. And if you're an individual, I think it's trying to create connection with people who are different from you is something that you can do. Um, If it's, you know, I, I give this advice a lot, but if you have a trade association or a network, there's in my in my trade association, we always have like the women's meeting and the um, Hispanic Latino um, group and black and Asian and LGBTQ. So, and they all are separate. So I would say go to your group and go to another group that you're not a part of just to increase your network and try to form connection with people who are maybe different from you. Because at the end of the day, it's really hard we're all biased, right? But it's really hard to be biased against someone you have a close personal connection with. And it starts to change the connections you have in your brain about a certain group. Like, I don't know anyone who's this, get to know someone who's that. And it changes the way you view that group. If you're a leader, I think that one of the biggest things that we can do is try to mentor and sponsor people who are different. And it does the same thing as an individual, like getting to know them, you become form a personal connection it changes your view on that group. And we mentor people who look just like us, like same race, same gender, even same personality. And if you think of who holds a lot of organizational power, what does that mean for who gets mentored? So take the opposite. Like I'm going to mentor someone who's different from me. And studies show that when you do that, it actually improves that person's chance of success. Like they're more likely to get promoted. They get better pay. Um, they're more likely to stay with the company. But the brilliant thing is the same things happen for the mentor. So if I, as a, you know, senior female, uh, I'm Mexican female, go reach out and mentor a, you know, a young black, um, more junior colleague, I'm going to learn from them and I'm going to benefit. It's going to make me more effective in my role. Um, and he's going to benefit. And so it's like a win-win, right? Um, if we all just did that, just like put it on your calendar, do the one thing, I think it would change everything. Yeah. I had had a similar thought uh, earlier this week. I was like, you know, because I think when you're suffering, right. So like I was, I was talking to, uh, I phoned a a, a prospect and just hit it off, got chatting and she, she said to me, isn't it an interesting time to be alive? And I was like, yeah, it's, it is interesting. And I have had a really rough, like few months. Uh, my mom passed away and just like a oh, few sorry. things happened at once. And I was like, just, and then I, then on top of all of that came off caffeine, by the way, 
caffeine is a real thing. <laughs> like when you come off yeah, that don't stuff. don't do that. Oh, my word. Um, yeah, proper, proper brain fog and withdrawals, like really, like really, really bad. Anyway, so just going through a lot and, and then there's COVID and then there's uncertainty and, you know, South African riots and blah, blah, blah and what have you. And there's lots to the, – the, well, my point being is that the, the neg, the, what's bad about your life is just as much available as what's good about your life. And you, you have to choose every day to, uh, to, to focus on what you're grateful for. And I'm not trying to be cliche, but I'm genuinely saying, like, fuck being yeah. grateful. Just focus on the things that are right. Uh, and, and, but even then it's, it's nice cause you hear, I think there's so much bad motivation out on the internet now. Um, and people always have an opinion and a lot of it's like, you know, really. Um, and, uh, and one of the, one of the small things I've learned talking about practical uh, stuff is that when, if, if you, when you are suffering and you're really feeling down, like do something for someone. Big, just do it. Like it doesn't need to be big. Just do like phone your dad, phone your mom. Like when my mom passed away, like I'll never, even now it hurts because like I can't, I can't speak to her ever again. And life's so short. And if you, if you can do something for someone, um, like go to a networking event and meet someone and introduce yourself and do whatever it is in your own way, you, it, it, the world is no longer about you and you stop suffering. It's a funny thing. I've learned that. Have you learned something similar? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I mean, I think that's a great lesson for today or take home yeah. for people because it would just make the world a better place. And it's contagious, right? When someone does something kind for you, you want to do something kind for someone else and it catches on. And couldn't we all use a little more kindness right now? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Stephanie, let's uh, wrap this up. Uh, why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I think it's the possibility uh, that things can change. That um, to me, leadership is everything. Um, you know, we've seen <laughs> through this pandemic that, you know, leadership really matters. If you look at how different countries have fared in the COVID crisis. Um, and I think we can develop better leaders and that's my lifelong aspiration is to improve the world by improving uh, and supporting its leaders. Awesome. What a cool mission. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today, guys. Thanks for everybody watching online and catching this podcast uh, wherever you're watching it. Uh, the book is called Inclusify, The Power of Uniqueness and Belonging to Build Innovative Teams. Hey there, guys. At smerocketfuel.com, you can access new markets and your ideal customers within seconds from a globally compliant data engine built specifically to help your business grow faster than ever before. And the best part? It's free. Yes, that's right. It is free. Head on over to smerocketfuel.com and sign up for free today so that you can start accelerating your business growth faster than ever before, wherever you are, with smerocketfuel.com. 
Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.